Black lives matter, black lives matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try and live my life, putting purpose over profit. Too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets. Eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it. Agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket. I'm sick with the pen. Brothers and sisters are sick in the pen. Oppressed by the man, attacked by the clan. America's plan, depression sets in. People becoming so hopeless. We can't breathe, they still choke us. They put the body cam on. It's either turn off or out of focus. Yeah, another death, another life. They pull the trigger. No thinking twice. Cops be wildin', the killing youth. The new Jim Crow, a different noose. It's the beast, it's the beast. Mark of the beast. Cease and desist. Increase the peace. Move in silence. Don't make a sound. But when they come, stand your ground. R.I.P. To all the martyrs. Say your prayer. Heavenly Father. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. I absolutely love that song. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a dope song, man. And unfortunately, it's as relevant as it was when we recorded it today. Absolutely. And I actually have to thank Mr. Darren Smith. So shout out to D Smith. So he actually sponsored this video. So shout out to the to the black business brother. That's what's up. So one of the things I love the most about vending machine media is that you give yourself permission to live a big life. Step into who you are meant to be. Stop playing small. You're meant for bigger things. Beautiful. That's dope. Absolutely. So without further ado, <laughs> that, that's definitely facts. Let's uh, let's get to our first segment, which is: Should Drew Brees be forgiven? A wonderful question posed by our professor, Mister Yisrael, and I think <laughs> it's a wonderful question because, as Christians, we are taught to turn the other cheek. So I I agree. I think it's a wonderful question to ask. And just for the people who haven't seen the clip. So Mr. Breeze isn't taken out of context. So we would like to thank uh, Yahoo Finance for this clip. Everyone is looking back now at Kaepernick's protests from a few years ago, and obviously they were always about police brutality. And now it's coming back to the fore, and a lot of people expect that we will see players kneeling again even when the NFL season starts. I'm curious how you think the NFL will and should respond to that. And, of course, you're such a leader in the league. Uh, what is your responsibility as a leader uh, in times like this for the rest of your teammates and, and players in the league? Well, I, I will I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the, the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart 
looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears, thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, but for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better and that we are all part of the solution. Mr. Drew Brees, Professor Israel, any comments, sir? I'd like to first start off by saying, Breeze, please. <laughs> well, if you want to get out of here with that BS, first and foremost, it reminds me of the Dave Chappelle skit, um, the sketch, I think, from the Chappelle show when an interviewer was interviewing him. He was playing a character, and he's clearly not paying attention. And the reporter's asking all these questions, asking all these questions. Then he just responds, he's like, what? It was a tragedy. It was terrible. <laughs> Wait, what was the question? So this question was asked about what does or what should the NFL do now? Um, realizing all the things that Kaepernick was taking a stand for and then taking a knee for, realizing all the stuff he was protesting. They were saying, hey, um, what do you think, Drew Brees, in terms of now that we see all these things are happening right now in real time, now that we see the stuff that Colin Kaepernick was talking about wasn't nonsense, what can you do as a leader? It was talking about police brutality. It was talking about all the civil unrest that we see. It was talking about all those things. I don't know where the flag came in, but flag on the play. Flag on the play. Because my man came and started talking about the American flag when no one asked him about that. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. And then if you want to talk about so, for example, there's a couple of things that, that really rub me in the wrong way. When, when, you, when you have a talking point that really makes no sense and then you try to connect it to other things that seems to be pandering to a particular population, when you start to hearken back to the civil rights movement, when you start to talk about how if we stand together with our hands over our heart, we can be united as one, that's lip service. Um, all that's lip service. When you start to talk about your grandfathers as if the people who are being killed in the street who are innocent and unarmed being killed in the street by police, um, as if their ancestors, as if their grandfathers, great-grandfathers didn't serve this country. In fact, they served this country, came back, and they were not served at all. They came back, they were lynched. They came back, they were ran out of town. They came back, they had bombs dropped on their businesses. They came back, and they didn't even get a chance, in some cases, to benefit from the GI Bill that was supposed to actually benefit veterans. So miss me with all that nonsense. Now, when I heard this first and foremost, I'm like, come on fam, come on, here we go again. And I guess that he forgot that folks weren't really saying that anymore because it's been a little bit of a hiatus and maybe he missed the, the memo that went out about, hey, we shouldn't be talking about that right now, probably because of bad for business. Um, but he went ahead and said it anyway. So for me, I posted on my Instagram, I put hashtag unforgivable, mm. hashtag unforgiven. Because what usually happens is we see this time and time again. We see this formula, supposed to be some formula where someone says some wild, crazy stuff. And it's like they ask us to forgive. Um, they, ask the, they ask like a black representative from the black community to speak on behalf of all black people and give someone a get out of jail free card or to give someone a pass or a forgiveness card. 
And I'm, I'm saying no, not, not at all, because here's the thing, a few things on that. Now, I don't subscribe to cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I don't subscribe to that. I believe that as human beings, we need to be looked at in terms of our totality. Um, we have to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, realizing that we are complex human beings that are capable of many things, some positive, some negative, and everything in between. And I think that we actually have to look at the totality or the holistic nature of a person. So I wouldn't do cancel culture. So for right. example, even when I quote rap lyrics, there's some rappers who are misogynist, but they got dope lyrics <laughs> in the sense of like, they got dope flow, etc. You have yeah. some people like Rutger Kipling, racist, had racist works, wrote the Jungle Book, but also penned the great poem, If. Um, you have folks like R. Kelly, who can sing our R&B crooners, but a terrible human being as it pertains to being a pedophile, a predator, etc. So you can't like, I don't believe in cancel culture because it doesn't tell the whole story. And there's some things that you need to condemn and there's some things you need to affirm. Um, and I think not looking at the whole person is an issue. And as a Christian, you know, we always, we always talk about, you know, forgiveness. We always talk about turning the other cheek. We always talking about the, the power of redemption. And I believe about all those things in terms of the power of redemption. I believe that, you know, you should give people a second chance. Um, I hope that people will give me a second chance if I have any transgressions, etc. However, here's the piece. While I don't subscribe to cancel culture, um, I believe in consequences and accountability. And a lot of times folks are calling for forgiveness quickly because they, they realize not that they messed something up morally, but they messed something up monetarily. They're trying to protect not their moral stance, but they're trying to protect their money. So when you think about the situation, you're backpedaling because your pockets are about to get tapped. You're backpedaling because you want a retirement tour and you don't want to go out with this blemish on your record, right? And when we talk about accountability, um, I believe in forgiveness. Um, I believe that we can hold people accountable for the things that they did. And I think I also believe that we can give folks a chance for forgiveness or forgive them at a certain point. But like Tupac said, forgive, but don't forget, right? Um, But there has to be some type of repentance shown. There needs to be demonstrated repentance. It must be actionable. It must be sincere. And it must be genuine. You can't just say, yo, look into my eyes. Look into my eyes and see how sorry I am. You see the, you see the sorry in my eyes? I'm so apologetic. You can't do that. I'm sorry. You can't do that. Because that, even more so, that seems like you're talking down to us, you're pandering even further. And it's like, let's get back to business. I'm so sorry I spoke out. I thought this was a talking point we were still supposed to be sticking to, right? Um, so when you think about that, I don't subscribe to cancel culture. I want to look at the totality of everyone, realizing that some folks fall from grace and they need to get a chance, particularly as a Christian, to redeem themselves. However, redemption takes work. It doesn't just happen because someone forgives you. First, you have to work it out. You have to seek repentance. And that's not just by making some half behind apology and an apology that made no sense to me because I work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. There were some pieces there that I just can't rock with. You over here talking about you're an ally. First, fam. You can't define yourself as an ally. Ally is a verb. So it's actionable. You can't say, I'm an ally. Then you have the nerve to say, I realize I can be a leader of the black community. No, you can not. Get out of here. There were so many other pieces that I said on my, on my Instagram post. It's too much whiteness in this apology to unpack. I don't have the time. I don't have the time. So until then, no, I do not forgive you, sir. I need to see some repentance. And I'll leave you with this. How long has Colin Kaepernick been out of the NFL? I'd love to know. Um, I think it's probably about four years. I can't remember the count in terms, of, in terms of how many days exactly that he went without work. But how about people ask us about forgiveness for Drew Brees? 
after that same amount of time passes by, then maybe I'll tell you whether or not I forget. <laughs> That's a fair question. I feel like those are the main things that I thought about. Well, number one is what you brought up, a contractual obligation. I'm curious if there's a clause that, uh, let's say, prohibits him from anything happening. Well, again, we'll see. You know, these uh, these clauses are crafty, so you never know. Um, that's number one. Or to your point, it actually might activate something in the clause that does diminish uh, his value on the field, let's say. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, it's just so messy for a number of different reasons. You have a white quarterback who is beloved in New Orleans, right? I, and we, I, know, we know about the history of New Orleans. We know about what happened with Hurricane Katrina. We know about the diversity within New Orleans. We know about the rich, deep history of African people who came to, which is now the United States, which is now Louisiana. We know about all these things, right? And for this to happen during this time period from him, it's, 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 a, it's a blemish. It's a blemish. And you think about um, a person like a Zion, who's now uh, you know, on the Pelicans. You think about him there. I wonder if he, I don't know if I had a chance, if you had a chance or if anyone's seen anything, if he's made any comments or, or any response to this. But for me, what I don't like also is how the thing I love about us as Black people in general, the thing I love about us as Black people in general, and I'm being very general, um, we are a loving and a forgiving people. Oh, yeah. I think, I think sometimes we need to keep our love and our forgiveness to ourselves and spread it amongst the community before we give it and export it to other communities. Because we have folks like, and I'm not saying these people rock out for the culture because I have issues with them too. They can be problematic the same way I'm sure people might be able to find me problematic for whatever reason. Um, but I'm thinking about like a, a Charles, a Charles uh, Barkley um, okay. who's like, oh, forgive him, forgive him. Yeah, don't worry about that. Keep doing what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. All these other talking pundits. Um, who are former NBA players or former athletes, and they're like, yeah, he gets a pass. Because again, just like in, in the police academy, just like in the police force, where folks you know, lean on that shield and stand together, it's a fraternity, it's a fraternal order. Same thing with athletes. A lot of oh, yeah. folks want to just lean on the shield. They want to help each other out. They want to throw someone a bone. Uh, but no, nah, we can't be so quick to forgive like that, particularly during this moment, because um, in this situation, forgiveness is viewed as weakness. In this situation, forgiveness is viewed as condoning behavior or approving behavior and being okay with behavior. I can't remember the person who said it, but um, the quote is, see exactly what people are silent, like when they're silent and what they will submit to. Um, and you can see exactly what type of injustice you can put over them. Um, and I know it's paraphrased, but when you think about the stuff, if we don't raise hell, if we don't make noise when certain things happen, and not be so quick to forgive. I'm not saying we can't get to that piece of forgiveness down, later down the road. I'm just saying day two, we're going to forgive. Like, relax. You can forgive and take that burden off of you. But don't forgive publicly. Don't forgive them. You can just say, you know what? I'm going to let it forgive. I'm, gonna let, I'm not going to let it eat me up and make me bitter or make me even more angry. But I'm not going to outwardly say, oh, I forgive you. Because folks could think that's just water on the bridge. And we could keep going on business as usual, which I don't, I don't agree with. Yeah, that's true. I feel like there's certain, and I feel like your hashtag, you know, epitomized it. There's certain things that are simply unforgivable. So it's not like you can, there's certain actions that you just cannot take back. For instance, if you are in a, you know, let's say a civil disagreement and one party pulls out a gun and aims it at another, you just can't go back from that. 
You, you know what I mean? You can't just be like, oh, my bad. I didn't mean it like that. This, there's certain things that you just can't play around with at all. One of which is people's dignity and respect and how they feel about themselves. And I think collectively worldwide, black people have been given the short straw intentionally over and over and over again. And for whatever reason, they have the, I guess the conscious cognitive dissonance to, to make themselves feel that it's going to happen into perpetuity. That, that was never going to happen. You're absolutely right. And I think during this moment, with all this energy that we have behind this movement, um, with this fight and struggle and newfound energy to try to bring it back, try to bring about justice and on this journey and struggle for liberation, some things have to be non-negotiable. Some things just can't happen. Some things we just cannot forgive. And I'm talking about, I need to see action. Your words, cool, sure. I need to see action. The same way we can say, for example, if Drew Brees was to say, I'm the best quarterback ever, mm -hmm. um, you need to hire me for your squad. They'd be like, nah, fam, I understand that you're that you think you are, you say you are, and maybe you truly are, but they want to see action. They're going to put him through a combine. They're going to put him through some drills. They want to see whether or not you can actually hit the mark, you know, because they say you <laughs> missed the mark. They want to see actually if you can hit the mark. That's why they have NFL Combine. Don't get me started on that. But that's why they have all these things where you can actually see what people can produce. So until I see any, uh, you know, positive yardage, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not willing to forgive. I'm not willing to say, oh, everything's cool. We have to keep pushing. And again, like I said, there is opportunity for redemption. I do not believe in cancel culture. But I really need to see, see, show me. Don't tell me. I need to see you, you yourself, not your PR not your fam, not your friends, not your teammates. I need to see what you're going to do, sir. What are you going to do to redeem yourself and actually earn forgiveness? And that's a, that's a great question. And that's a fair question. And I'm curious, uh, and you see it a little bit more and more each time, but once, you know, once the uh, smoke settles, the dust settles, I feel like those questions are going to come to the black entertainers who are quite dormant right now when their normal public social persona is the complete opposite. I'm just, very curious about this. Well, that's absolutely right. And the other thing I'm curious about, and it's funny that you, excuse me, mentioned that, is that I was thinking, I'm like, okay, so he came out with an apology. Um, and then, you know, 45, uh, Agent Orange, as they referred to him, right? He comes out and he's over here staunchly saying, you shouldn't have backed down, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, fam, you got time in the midst of uh, a pandemic, a global pandemic, one that's particularly uh, affecting the United States of America. And you have all these things that are happening in terms of civil unrest and uprising, so much so that um, your, your Secret Service took you down into a bunker underneath the White House. Uh, you got, but you got time to tweet. You got time to tweet and talk about this, this thing that's happening with Drew Brees. Really? Really? So when I'm thinking about all of this, and I'm thinking about how things have changed from before, I want to know what the NFL is really going to do. Now, we see the situation, right? And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, so the NFL... And Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell finally came out trying to make a statement talking about we were wrong, we're sorry, nonsense, 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 right? And I'm like, this is the first time, this is probably the first time the NFL's bottom line truly has the potential to be effective. Mm. So when you think about COVID-19, you think about all the things that are happening right now with the protests because of all the killing of unarmed, innocent, um, because again, innocents are proven guilty. It's funny how people always like to say that people are guilty with alleged things, right? Um, in this criminal justice system or injustice system. 
Mm-hmm. But because of all these things that are happening, right? You think that, hmm, maybe a tide's turning and folks might actually really start to boycott the NFL. Folks might actually not attend games. One, because it might not be safe for them to do so. Two, because there might be some regulations and things that actually the NFL's put into place. And that can affect the bottom line. Add on top of that, all this stuff is being like out in front again in terms of why Cap was kneeling and Cap still not employed. So if I'm a business person, maybe I'm going to tell my my guy who usually is the sound horn and it's like, yo, keep your fan base, keep your fan base, say stand for the flag, right? Now it's like, oh, Drew, Drew, you actually, you should probably apologize. And you know what? I'm going to apologize too because now's the time for us to actually do it. Not because we agree with it, not because we believe it, but because we're trying to protect, again, our bottom line. So money over morality. So what I'd like to see, if folks are really interested, really interested about us forgiving them, let's see them show up with actions. I want to see Roger Goodell, forget the Rooney rule, where you're supposed to just interview at least one person of color for, for a head coaching job. I want to see a radical shift and change in GMs, ownership, coaches. And I'm not just talking about like position coaches or defensive coordinators. I'm talking about head coaches. I'm talking about general managers. I'm talking about ownership. I need to see that happen. And on top of that, your boy Jay-Z is not off the hook either. I want to see him do a little bit more. I want to see him step up. I want to see what he's doing um, with the initiative that he's supposed to be bringing together with his people. Uh, So let's see where this goes. But yeah, man. These folks are in the hot seat for me. Absolutely. And the last time we actually were talking about this topic was the uh, Cap and Jay-Z episode. Because <laughs> I was listening to that today. And and yeah, absolutely. Because I'll, I'll back up what I said on there. I feel Jay-Z will bring more diversity in terms of ownership. I think that's one of the first things he's going to do. And I, I have a strong feeling that he'll get guaranteed contracts. Just, just for whatever reason, which I think would be interesting. Listen, I'd love to see that. I would love to see that. And again, this is the time to push, 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 push. And that's why, again, my stance on this whole forgiveness thing is we don't have time for forgiveness right now. We really don't. Because people don't forgive us for a number of different things. I could be jaywalking, not even right. necessarily on purpose, unforgivable, I'm thrown in jail, maybe even abused, maybe I don't even make it home. Right. So when we talk about the minor infractions or things that we do that is not disrespectful, that is not causing anyone harm, that's not being damaging to anyone. And do we get forgiven for these things? Um, Not to mention all the stuff we get accused of that we don't even do. Right. With false accusations and things of that nature. So when we talk about this whole F word of forgiveness and we just throw it around so loosely, I can't rock out with that. Um, I need to see some deeds. I need to see some action. And then that could be on the road to redemption. It's true. And for you, what would not forgiving look from Mikhail's point of view? I feel like for me, you know, things like boycott, but I wouldn't use the word boycott. I would just disregard it. Like I'm no longer interested type of thing. Yeah. And see, and this, and this is the hard part for me. And this is, this is the real, and I always, I always get conflicted with this piece. And it's like, I don't really have any skin in the game when it comes to the NFL anyway, because I'm a Jets fan. We've been we've been a bum, we've been bums for a while. Honestly. It's, I mean, it's just a waste of my time. Like honestly, it's a waste of a Sunday if I'm over here trying to watch TV to see them like maybe almost win and then you know they're up by 20 and then they lose by 10. Like it's, you know, <laughs> I, there's nothing really in it for me in that regard, right? Um, but I also think about the the league being predominantly black. 
um, or at least predominantly people of color, right? In a lot of different spaces. Um, when you think about certain teams, et cetera, I think about their livelihoods. I think about the fact that if we do boycott, um, whether it's the sponsors um, or whether we boycott certain teams or certain places, what might that mean for those players, particularly those who don't have other options when it comes to employment? And that's the part that I'm conflicted. So it's like, okay, you can stifle or cut off money that's being funneled into the space, but then that means the folks who weren't getting much money to begin with are now going to get less. And you know, that's something I wrestle with. That's something I struggle with. Is that something that we should do? How do we actually make sure we can bring about change where these folks, um, particularly black or brown folks in these spaces, have the opportunity to get what they're get get what they're worth. Um, that they actually have a little bit more safety precautions since they do choose to play football still and they know the damages that can, that can be done. Um, but how do we how do we ensure that they are taken care of? How do we ensure that they are being treated fairly, that they're being compensated fairly, and that they're actually getting share of the revenue to the extent that they deserve? Um, those are my questions. I don't know how we can bring that about, um, but that's that's where I always get get caught up when we think about this boycott piece, where we think about how do we actually affect change um, without having a lot of casualties who are from my community. Yeah, that's fair. And I think one of the first things I think about is whenever we talk about things like boycotting, I feel like you're just, even though that could potentially hurt one company, another one will take its place and still do the same thing. So that's not, like you said, it's not, it's not taking care of the underlining issue. Number one, I feel like people still don't get this. It's just unless there's proper representation, it's always going to be a discriminatory environment for people of color, especially black people, especially in a sport like the NFL, a league like the NFL. When I think we all know collectively marketing wise, a lot of players have struggles marketing because their helmets usually on. I feel like we all know that about the the NFL, and there's what, 52, 53 people on the sideline. So good luck unless you wanted the main players, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of marketing. So there's a realistic possibility that a lot of these players have similar stories to regular people in terms of being uh, dealing with Karens, especially you think about where you live in and how they may present themselves, right? Oh, what are you, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we think about what that might look like, maybe it's like you said, Jay-Z or whomever working to make sure that they get guaranteed contracts. Maybe it's maybe their contract says that they get a little bit of ownership or some equity, um, whether it's in the team, um, whether it's other incentives that make sense um, that really give them um, what they what they what they're worth um, for them to get paid in their likeness, for them to get paid for their likeness. Um, and you know what? I just think that right now i'll be interested to say and you know we had this conversation before we talked about um the american sports being like the the greek coliseum right thinking right. about but i mean ancient rome and thinking about you know the greek gods and you know all the mythology etc i'll be interested to see what's going to happen um if covid 19 continues to be pervasive and continues to um infiltrate you know our lives as we know it i'll be interested to see how professional sports return um when they return if they return back to original form if they take this as an opportunity to change things, to make it a little bit more innovative and maybe actually create more revenue, um, or is it really gonna take a hit? So I'll, I'll be interested to see that, how that happens. But as when we think about wealth building and when we think about you know things that we'll talk about later on um, in other episodes as well, um, what can we do to make sure that 
we are protected, whether we're on the field and off the field or off the field. So if you're going to do something on the field, are you putting forth a plan for when you're done? Are you putting forth a plan for if you get injured and it's a, and it's a, and it's a uh, career ending injury? Um, what about your family? We know that CTE is real. Um, what about your family? If, if there are certain things that happen from all the ramifications and things that um, come with being an NFL player or even coming with being a professional athlete. Um, so really thinking about what that looks like and how folks can not only profit from the, the, the talent that they have, but also build wealth, build a legacy and have something for their family, even if they're no longer here. Yeah, I think that's important. That's why I applauded organizations like the NBA when they have the seminars for all the rookies. That's mandatory. That walks them through things like this. Like, OK, you need to start thinking long term because, again, nothing is guaranteed. I mean, what you're a you're a, a juke away from, you know, any type of, you know, career ending injury in any sport. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why I firmly believe you do have to, you know, act upon your leverage in in real time because you're always going to be more valuable in the present than you are in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to go back to just the whole notion of forgiveness again, because something just popped back into my mind that I wanted to talk about. Um, there are plenty of times when people who are in the profession, whether they're sports commentators um, or sports pundits or whether they're teammates of these players who say certain things, right? We often see folks backing things down or saying, let's forgive them or calling for forgiveness or whatever, or saying, you know what, they're okay with me or, you know, caping for certain people. That's because their livelihoods are attached to it. Um, So there are plenty of times where people can't, they can't speak out per se because they don't want to lose their paycheck or they can't speak out per se because contractually they might be um, tied up and bound to not saying anything. Um, We've seen people leave certain spaces. If I'm not mistaken, Amanda Seals, from what I understand, she's um, leaving the real because, you know, and the real is a show that's filmed on Fox. Um, Mm. She's leaving the real because she says she doesn't, she doesn't want her views, her opinions and beliefs being suppressed. She wants to talk about whatever she wants to talk about. I mean, the show's called the real and you can't come with the real. So when you think about these things, right, who is out there that's pandering because you know what, I'm pandering to get paid. And who's out there who's actually going to speak truth to power, regardless of what it's going to cost them? And I'm not, it's not a judgment anywhere. I'm not placing any value judgment. All I'm just saying is I'm naming it. And I'm naming that some people don't speak out for certain reasons, where others are like, you know what? I don't care. I'm speaking out anyway. Absolutely. And it's necessary. That's the only way we're going to create change, because we've already tried for, a, let's say, a, at least three generations, if not more lifetimes of... Oh, we'll we'll get better. We'll 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 do better in the future. That that's my bad. So perhaps now we need something immediate. And one of the first things which I'm appreciating is that now everyone is t- having the conversation. All the conversations that no one want, wanted to bring up because they you know they they didn't want to mess up the like the the homeostasis of mm-hmm. that environment. Just like how. In college, each classroom is a different environment. Same thing with work culture. Same thing with families. Every so, if you do that, then that gets other people offended talking about it. Even though it's you're the one being oppressed, mm-hmm. it still offends them. So they're they take on the role of the victim. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm X said it best: "This is what some police will do. They will be the aggressor." And then, you know, you have 
defensive actions, right? Because you're being attacked, your rights are being violated by the people sworn in to uphold those rights. And then once you have, you know, a human instinct of defending yourself, because you might, you know, get vitally injured, then you're attacking them. Oh, you're resisting arrest. How, how could that be if you literally created the scenario? In fact, we can actually guarantee that without you being present, the scenario never would have happened. Mm-hmm. And, and who and who's taking the blame for your social infraction? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, again, when it comes to situations such as these, we, we can we can sit here and argue and say, oh, no, you know, Drew Brees didn't mean it that way. No, you know, he was he was taken out of context. He has a good heart. Like, listen, I'm not God. No, I don't know that man's heart. Um, so I have I have I have no no time for that conversation because that's a distraction. Again, what did he say? Did it cause damage? How can you repair that damage? If you think about the model of restorative justice. If you think about if there was a breach in community, if you harm someone within your community, this is your teammate, this is people who live in your community, this is people who are part of your your football family, right? And an extended family because of the people uh, that they're related to in the community they come from. You've done harm. How are you going to repair that harm? How are you going to repair that relationship? What are you going to do about it? So that's really something that we need to think about that's really something that we need to look for. And we can't be distracted by, oh, he said he's sorry. Okay, thank you. I take I accept your apology. What's next? <laughs> what is next? Because it's almost like, you know, your mother, your father, whomever tells you, take the trash out. You don't take the trash out. And it's still there. And then you apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't take the trash out. The trash is still there, though. So <laughs> after you apologize, take that ish out. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So if you're really sorry, show me. It's true. And uh, shout out to Craig and brother Witherspoon, RPU, because what you literally said was that scenario on Friday. So I, I got to <laughs> shout them both out. And I'm actually curious to see when this this concept that's going on now is going to be illustrated in film. I can't wait for that moment. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm, mm, for sure. For sure. And, you know, just thinking about all these movements and thinking about what can stifle a movement, what can stifle momentum. Um, when folks start to, and, and I've seen it, I've seen, I've seen the, I don't know this, I don't know if there's a playbook that folks have, how to stop, how to stop black folks when they're angry. I feel like, I feel like there might be a playbook out there where it's like, okay, so this is what you do. They're a loving people. Mm-hmm. They have, they have, they have a fear of God and a love for God. If you have an infraction, Make sure you appeal to their heart and appear to their inner deep humanity. Things that you don't usually exhibit, but (laughs) actually appeal to their deep humanity. You have to say, I'm sorry. You have to say, love me, forgive me. We're all created in God's image. I'm just trying to take it one day at a time. It's in God's hands. Like appeal to that Jesus factor or appear, appeal to whatever religion um, and just really see if they can fall into that of saying, you know what? They evoked, they evoked God. They played the God card. Yeah. So like we need to be very careful when we listen to all these things that happen and and watch the actual um, blueprint that usually happens after you see something. Folks beg for forgiveness. You have families sometimes in these situations where they might be paid in order for them to make sure people are not getting upset, to decrease the social pressure. How do they stifle movements? They make public apologies. And then they make public statements of, you know what? We accept them. We, we forgive them. Like there's certain things that I'm, I'm, I always question. 
I always question. I'm not going to say this is how it is, but I always question. I'm always curious as to why these things happen. It seems like it's the same exact blueprint. So I wonder if they're playing from the same playbook. Yes, it's a bit of cosmic chess. And I do believe the next move would be a grand display via media. Oh, yes. And you know it's coming. You know it's coming. I don't know what that press conference is going to look like. I don't know if Jay-Z is going to be present. I don't know if they have five opening acts and then they're going to introduce <laughs> Roger Goodell. I don't know if Drew Brees is going to come out and try to whip a nay nay. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that's what usually happens. And I'm honestly tired of seeing it. Like, I'm tired of seeing it because folks are so quick to say, why don't you forgive this white guy? And whenever we talk about us, whenever we talk about giving us a break, it's like, well, when he was in second grade, he dropped the turtle. Did you know that? Like, they will bring up some of the wildest stuff and be like, okay, come on now. Come on. So we'll, we'll see what this, um, what this media circus might look like as they move forward. Absolutely. And I feel one of the ways that they're going to do that is simply by marketing and demographics, right? So he's going to have some type of, some type of event or commercial or whatever. And this, or uh, maybe something like how LeBron did with the state farm. Mm-hmm. Just to mm-hmm. have one moment with Drew Brees. Mm, talk about it. Talk about it. And yeah, these are some great questions in the comments. I mean, your I boy know. Terry Crews, man, he'd been on it. He needs an apology tour. Yeah. He needs to go shot on a mountaintop because he's been messing up for a little bit. And I'm not going to get into why I have issues. Um, but time and time and time again, it seems like he has sided with hegemonic culture, which is white, male, wealthy, right? Elite, because you think about Hollywood, right? Um, And he's often sided on that side. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, with his huge bicep and forearm, Heisman, the black community. And there's other times when he, like, for example, he threw Gabrielle Union under the bus. Meanwhile, he's caping for other organizations and other identities, but he won't actually talk about what he is, a black man, and how he's impacted by all these things. There are certain things that just don't make sense to me. Um, So I think what we need to do as a community in situations like Terry Crews is that some black folks, the same way we, again, I said I don't believe in cancel culture, but some black folks, we need to put them on the shelf. We need to put them on timeout. We need to revoke their black card. It's like, if you're not going to ride out for us, if you're not going to represent for us, then we're not going to show up for you. I'm not supporting you, bro. I can't because you don't support us. And you are dangerous. You are dangerous. It's almost like that Uncle Ruckus character from the Boondocks, right? (laughs) Someone who looks like you, someone who's from your community, but they don't think like you, they don't talk like you. And again, when we talk about, when we talk about white, when we talk about whiteness, right? My goodness. It's not just a color, right? Dick Gregory said it best. Whiteness is a state of mind. It's an mm-hmm. attitude. And some folks, they need to decolonize their mind. And this, I don't want to, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't really psychoanalyze what Terry Crews is going through, but I understand there's certain hoops you got to jump through. I know there's right. certain rituals you got to do in order for you to be in certain spaces. So, bro, where's your soul at? I just need to know. And yeah, you know, there's plenty of times when folks try to appeal to us, they try to manipulate us with our religion, they try to manipulate us and say, hey, you know, look, he agrees with me. 
How come you don't agree with me, black man? He's a black man. Oh, he's blacker than you? Are you not black enough? So we sort of pit each other against each other again. And it reminds me of slavery days. It reminds me of the crabs in the barrel. And we're like, okay, we keep talking about the crabs in the barrel and the conditions in the barrel. Who the heck created the barrel? That's what I want to know. And who put us in there? So yeah. we talk about all these things, right? Um, it's important for us to unpack that. But we have to, the same way we challenge folks who are not in the culture, we have to also be hard on the folks who are in the culture or at least, again, we realize that all uh, skin folk ain't kin folk because some folks just not rocking with us. And your man your man definitely is on some Kanye status. At least Kanye quiet right now. And he's, and he's putting money <laughs> in certain spaces. He knows enough to be silent. You know, right. this is this this is his version of a silent movement. And I appreciate it. Just keep keep quiet, fam. And just keep pushing that green somewhere. It's true. And I think you, you made a great point about the apology and just simply that being accepted, because part of that acceptance came from the privilege. And I think the beautiful part for black people globally, especially in America, specifically in America, with all due respect to our brothers and sisters around the world, we never had a actual term to identify those moments. So now people are being conscious of them in real time. So it's kind of like whenever you learn a new word and then you hear that word all the time. So now they're going to be like, oh, they can identify it in real time while they're observing, which I think is amazing. And it's going to create stronger neuropathways and they're going to be able to see the board a lot clearer, which I think is fantastic. No, absolutely. And it is my hope that particularly with this generation that's coming up right now, with all that they're witnessing, all that they're being exposed to, um, you know, they have not been inside schools the way that they usually were inside schools. They've been at home. They've been online, et cetera, but they're still getting a phenomenal education right now. And I'm talking about a real hands-on tangible education where things are very clear, where things are becoming very clear, stuff that they would have been talking about or trying to decipher in textbooks or a teacher giving them misinformation in certain schools and certain spaces. They're seeing right now in real time and hopefully they have folks at home with them who can talk it through and say, you know what? Remember the stuff you were talking about in terms of oppression? This is what it looks like in real time. Remember when we were talking about how there's systemic racism? This is what it looks like. Remember when we talked about how, you know, the cards are stacked against us? Here's a few cards that you're seeing right now. Um, so I'm hoping that folks are able to see the board um, and remember that, you know, it's not about playing checkers, it's about playing chess. Um, and that's why we bring it back. Playing chess, there's no room for forgiveness. I'm coming mm -hmm. for your king, period. Checkers, yeah, you know, I can forgive you, I guess, and then keep it moving. But no, we don't have time for that. I don't have time for the not in these situations, not in these situations. It's true. And speaking of king, we have a lot of young kings, young princes and princesses and young queens to raise them up out there. So I, I'm very excited for that. Now we're going to be a lot more conscious and deliberate with the information we give to young minds as they're developing. Yeah. And I think if you didn't have permission to be unapologetically black, or unapologetically for your culture, now's mm. the time. Now is the time. Don't miss the cruise ship. It's sailing. <laughs> it's sailing. Hop on. Hop on. Don't miss that boat. Because honestly, honestly, if you're not going in that direction, if you're not using this as energy right now, you're, you're missing the movement. You're missing the movement. You're going to be left back in that moment. Um, so it's really important for us to continue to you know, run this race, um, run this leg of the race that we have, the baton that was handed to us for as fast as we can, as long as we can. Um, and make sure that we're doing our part because right now we have so much momentum. There's so much wind being blown at our back. Um, there's no excuses. We know what's going on. 
and we have to do something about it. It's true, and I believe that's a great segue to our next segment, which is list of demands for black people. Because after all, guys, the protesting and rioting is fantastic, but if it it's without a plan of action like this is what this is what we're seeking we're not just doing it just to do it which which is great it it has caused all this which is fantastic however it could still be like repeated history when people would riot and then they would make like like as we said have a grand display like look at this guys and everyone would be like oh this is amazing and just totally forget what happened is magic <laughs> So what what is your attention focused on? You got to watch the entire play. You know what I mean? Just don't don't skim it. I know I, I'm bad at skimming. I skim text messages. It's a habit. I apologize. I'm going to have I had to get better at that. But at the same time, it does start somewhere. And I just found an amazing clip on IG and I thought I would share it because it feels related to me. Let me know what you guys think problem exists because white people think they're better than black people and they want to oppress us and they want us to allow ourselves to be oppressed. This is the big, I agree with you uh, perfectly, this is the basic problem. Then what do you that want white to people uh, think they're better What's than that I can others? Do? I can't solve the problem. You guys pull the strings at closed schools. You guys draw the boundaries that keep our kids restricted to the ghetto. You guys write up the restrictive covenants that keep us out of houses. So it's up to you to talk to your brothers and your sisters and persuade them that they have a responsibility. We've assumed ours for over 400 years, and we're tired of this kind of stuff now. We're not going to suffer patiently anymore. No more turning the other cheek. No more blessing our enemies. No more praying for those who despitefully use us. We're going to show you that we've learned the lessons you've taught us. We've studied your history, and you did not take over this country by singing we shall overcome you did not gain control of the world like you have it now by dealing fairly with a man and keeping your word your treaty breakers your liars your thieves you rape entire continents and races of people then you wonder why these very people don't have any confidence or trust in you your religion means nothing your law is a farce and we see it every day you demonstrated it in alabama and i can say you because you're part of the whole system you profit from it in fact you make your living from it you couldn't walk around and talk to people, stand up in your pulpit on Sunday and preach nice little songs and say, now we're going to give thanks to the Lord for he is good and old Jesus be among us. As far as we're concerned, your Jesus is contaminated, just like everything else you've tried to force upon us is contaminated. Mm -hmm. well, so you uh, can have him. Bars. Bars. <laughs> I mean, what, what can you say to that? He just read him his rights. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yo, say? not not only that, he read him his rights while he was giving someone a, a lineup in the shape of with, with scissors. B, he was like, "Yo, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you up while I cut this dude." Like that's that's pre that's pretty much what happened just now, and that was brilliant. So when you talk about a list of demands, how much time we got, brother? Yes. <laughs> how much time do we have? I had, you know, I had to make sure I wrote these things down so I didn't forget. And still, and still, there's things that are missing, things that are left off the list. But I would love to hear demands in the comments if we miss anything uh, we need to yeah. know um but here's here's what i wanted this this is how i want to start i want to start with this we need to move beyond pledges and performative allyship and activism to practical and political action all right i get it folks are taking the pledge people are pledging saying you know i'm gonna pledge x amount of money to this that and the third i'm gonna make sure i give this that and third to blah 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 i'm gonna do this 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 okay 
Stop with the pledges, mm. right? Move beyond that mm. and the performative allyship. Like we're in solidarity. I stand with you. Again, actions speak louder than words. I need you to show me, not just tell me, show me. I will judge you based off of what you're doing. I saw a quote the other day. It was like, the difference between who you are and who you want to be is what you do. So if you want to be an ally, what are you going to do about it? You can't just say you're an ally. What are you going to do about it? And then after that, I need you to be an accomplice. I need you to be a co-conspirator. Accomplice, mm -hmm. you showing up when we're doing this crime. Co-conspirator, you planning this crime with me. And if folks are not comfortable with the crime language, figure something else out. All I'm saying is that's what we need folks to do to show up, right? Because a lot of people who are pledging, 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 but I really want to see you actually move to practical and political action. There's plenty of people who pledge allegiance to the flag, yet they're not patriotic at all. Yet mm. they actually, there's people, heck, I even say there are people who probably take vows, whether it's a vow to be in office, whether it's a vow to be in a relationship. And do they actually do anything about it? Probably not, maybe, but in some cases, no. So these pledges, I'm good. Give me something else, something tangible, something I can see, something that we can hold you accountable. Um, and so in terms of you know my list of demands, um, first, I want to make the distinction between individual and institutional. So we need both mm. individual change and institutional change. In terms mm. of individual change, we need folks to educate themselves. There are so many resources out there. Folks make it seem like this stuff just happened. They're like, oh my God, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> and no, you weren't checking for it. It's like, you don't understand or see certain cars until you buy one yourself and all, the matter, all of a sudden your consciousness is open to that new car. So when mm -hmm. like the beef is delivered at your doorstep, you got that Rona delivered to your doorstep, which actually changed your life. And then you have something on top of that where you're not distracted because you don't have the sports to get back to the distraction. There's no March of Madness, but there's a lot of marching and madness in the streets, right? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do about that? What are we going to do? So wake up and pay attention. You need to educate yourself as an individual, and you shouldn't put the burden on people of color to educate yourself. Google is easy to get to. If you need recommendations, that's fine. Reach out to me. I'll send you a link, but we're not having a conversation about it until you do the work. Then right. we can check back in and have a conversation. But I'm going to ask you to give me a book report because I need to know if you read it. Don't waste my time. I won't waste yours. And it's like, okay, institutionally, institutionally, this is what we need to do. We need radical societal and structural change. So that means healthcare, housing, education, employment, criminal justice, policing, prison reform, removing school resource officers, ending cash bail, the list goes on. The list goes on. Because we have to talk about how do we dismantle and like just completely disrupt these white supremacist structures that this country was built upon. Right. And I always talk about how white supremacy is really a function of white insecurity and they want to make sure they're secure. So they try to say they're supreme. And that's how they try to actually operate in these spaces. Additionally, what someone shared with me, they said, I don't know where the quote is from, but they shared with me. They said that white guilt. We don't have room for that because white guilt is the glue that holds oppression in place. Wow. So for folks who have so much white guilt, they get so paralyzed, they become crippled to the point where they, they don't do anything. Right. They're so busy wallowing in self-pity. You mean to tell me that 
my skin gives me privilege? What is privilege? Privilege doesn't exist. Oh no, my family earned everything. My family worked hard for this. Why don't you work hard? You'll have privilege too. There's no such thing as oppression. I don't see color. So there's all those things that come from that white guilt piece, right? Which folks need to abolish, eradicate, erase from their lexicon, from their mindset, mentality, all that. If we go deeper though, we know that there's so many healthcare disparities. You're the one who gifted me many books. Well, not me. I stole them from my wife. It's on my Black Power bookshelf. But you gifted her many books about healthcare disparities, right? And housing. Shout out to my brother-in-law who's in housing. We were having a conversation about this before, about all the things that can be done to make sure that there's an equal opportunity for people, particularly those who come from marginalized groups and marginalized backgrounds in terms of securing housing where they can actually start towards a better life and livelihood for themselves and their families if they have one. Education. There's so many pieces about education. First of all, we talk about public education. We already had a conversation about that in terms of how education systems are funded, in terms of how things are different how affluence might actually get you into certain spaces. And even in those cases, some people who are affluent still try to rig the system and game the system. So just really thinking about that, right? And then if you talk about criminal justice reform and policing, you know, there's a lot of hashtags out there that are saying defund the police, defund the police. I also want to talk about where will those funds go? How are we going to reallocate those funds? Where are they going? Um, we need to demilitarize the police for sure. There's yeah. no reason why the NYPD should have tanks or things that look like they're about to go to war. But again, that might be a mentality of the department. We're going to war because these folks are the enemy. We need to talk about those things. We really need to. And yeah. then you talk about the school, um, the school to, uh, prison pipeline. I used to work in admissions. And when I was in college admissions, I traveled across the country to go to a number of different schools. And my heart dropped when I would walk into a school and the first thing I see is a metal detector and a school resource officer where you got to put your bags through. Like, I'm not catching the flight. It's not TSA. I'm just trying to get the geometry class, B. And it's like, you got to put all your stuff through this and then you got to get checked. And you know, like, you are creating something and giving folks an image of something that they often might become because of the environment you have created for them where they either are treated like criminals, so they become criminals, or they are stifled, can't learn, and they might drop out, and they don't have other opportunities for them elsewhere, or they might get involved in some stuff they shouldn't get involved in. So just thinking about what that looks like in terms of how to school the prison pipeline, how do we break that? How do we break that? And if we really want to be real, we have to bring up this conversation about reparations. We have to have that reparations conversation. And I know we have the HR 40 um, bill that's been that's been pushed around for a lot of times. It's the Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act. Um, we need to talk about that and continue to push, 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 because reparations are owed. They are owed. So folks want to know because people are like, what can we do? What, what can like? There are so many things that we can do that are tangible that we can do. Additionally, when we think about leadership in certain corporations and industry, we need more people of color who run Fortune 500 companies. We need more people of color who are presidents of colleges and universities. We need more people of color who are heads of independent schools. We need more people of color who are running different nonprofits. We need more leadership distribution for it to be more representative and reflective of the demographics that we have within our communities. 
That's what we need. So this is, a, this is, and this is just the top part of the list of demands. There's more, there's much more, but I think we need to start to tackle some of those things first. It's true. And I do think uh, you would have to add not only reparations, I would add a, a black tax as well. Just, just throwing it out there. Uh, Talk about it. In addition to, I would say social regulations. So not only, you know, I would, I would need the what a hate crime is to be, let's say, broadened a little bit. Because mm. some folks have been escaping due to the privilege, but the signs were there all along. And while, no, like you said, no action was taken, that created a hostile environment for our people. In addition to the system creating a hostile environment, which leads to things like PTSD, so we're more pl- more prone to blackout, pun absolutely intended. So you're creating a scenario, which is why a lot of police, for whatever reason, whether they're trained or not, I have no idea. They try to antagonize our people to get a reaction. They try to do things that you know people would not tolerate to get a reaction. And then once they get the reaction, they are the victim. Like that, that has to be dismantled, you know. 400 years yesterday type of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And to those folks whose retort might be, you know, they're, they're all not bad. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a few bad apples, you know, you, um, you know, just, there's just a few bad apples or there's, there's no, there's no, no perfect place. Like, I, I get it. I get it. But to, to those retorts, here's, here's my response to that. Mm-hmm. I'm in education. We definitely need more black doctors for sure. Um, because folks be wild and yeah. killing people uh, for real. Um, but I'm in education and I would say that not all teachers are bad. However, there are some who don't need to be anywhere near classroom. Wow. I don't care if it's online or in person. <laughs> you don't need to be teaching anyone. You haven't even taught yourself. So mm-hmm. I think when we talk about certain things, I'm not saying that the system of education is broken to the extent that everyone in it is bad. I'm saying that there's something about the system that allows some of those bad teachers to exist and do damage on a daily basis. What do we do about those teachers? Do we get them better training or do we ask them to kindly leave? Mm. Same can be said about police departments. Do they need better training or do we have to get some folks out of there? Because there are some folks who I know who literally, literally have signed up to protect and serve. I know there's people in my family, there are neighbors that I have, I know their intent. The same way I have folks who I know their heart in terms of being in education, education spaces. They're trying to be that which they did not have or they really care about the children. But there are some other folks who just want to collect the check and they just want to lather, rinse, repeat. And they don't want to actually challenge the intellect, teach people how to be critical thinkers, teach them to think for themselves, to be critical of anything that comes in front of them. They just want to have a job, collect a check, and it's like, bye-bye, I really don't care about you. So again, we understand that not everybody within these certain spaces are bad. And we know there are some good things that are happening in these different fields, industry, et cetera. How can we do better? How can we do better? And we need to make sure that we're challenging folks 
to look at their policies, practices, procedures, protocol, whatever, their training, and we need that right now. So now's the time. People who need DEI training, diversity, equity, and inclusion training, holla at your boy. I got you. I got a network of people. We got you. We can make that happen. So what are you going to do about it? Not knowing, like really feigning ignorance, that's no longer an excuse. The world is watching. So if you're not hip to the game, there's something wrong with you, or you're doing this intentionally, or you're a part of the problem, which we've been trying to tell you to begin with. So again, if you're not going to be a part of the solution, get off the boat, and we're just going to leave you in the ocean somewhere. Find your way back home. Absolutely. And one of those things that also has to be installed in addition to those parameters, which I think are amazing, is that you need to retro charge police officers, obviously, especially if it's on film. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. That's going to we're going to start there as well. And then we're also going to have more stringent and more punitive results for police officers. So number one for me. I think one thing that would deter that type of behavior would be you're going to create the same parameters that you gave the victim. So that's going to be your prison sentence. So you're going to spend life in prison in solitary confinement until the end of their days. You're not going to be able to speak to your family at all. Why? Well, can the family of the victim speak to the victim? So the same parameters that you consciously went out of your way to create now those parameters will be upon you. Oh, you preaching that Old Testament. I got you. I feel, I feel <laughs> you, brother. Um, <laughs> no, I think we need to find a way to deter people from doing stupid stuff. Mm. And again, it's like same way you might give people incentives to do things you want them to do. You might want them to have positive reinforcement, right? I'm not, I'm not against that. Not at all. I think that in order for us to address a problem, we first have to acknowledge the problem. And I think it's a lot of times we can't even acknowledge it. We don't even get to the point where we're acknowledging things. Folks are like, well, you know, slavery, it happened so many years ago. My parents weren't part of that. No, mm. not at all. But yet, and you've seen memes about this, and yet people are like, 9-11, never forget, always remember. And it's like, okay, wait, hold up. So what messages am I receiving? So we, we you wanna talk about terrorism, Yet for some reason, slavery is left out of the conversation. You want to talk about domestic terrorism and somehow slavery is left out of the conversation. How does that work? How does that work? And you know how I feel about intellectual inconsistency. Yes. We feel the same way about it. We can't stand it. So you need to tell me. Uh, and to add to your list, sir, you put the Holocaust in there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Always remember, never again. And for yes. a righteous reason, absolutely. For, for a righteous reason. And I remember some black sister, it was, uh, I think it was Minister Farrakhan was being interviewed on uh, the, the Donahue show. And, mm. and there was a black sister who stood up. She was like, listen, I would submit to you that the Holocaust is the greatest atrocity that has ever been recorded on film. Mm. On film. Slavery, though. <sighs> My goodness, and this is not the oppression Olympics. Don't get it twisted. However, when you don't even acknowledge the extent to what oppression took place and the implications and the results and consequences and aftermath of what's happening now from those things that took place, 
for four hundred years, as opposed it's, to uh, was it? Well, however long World War II was for, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Around, around that time timeline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like we have to we have to be honest with ourselves, and it's like if you can point that out, yet you refuse to acknowledge and think about reparations and think about what happened and how do you repair the breach, right? If if, if you're not having those conversations, you have to ask yourself why. What is what is broken inside of you that won't allow you to acknowledge that injustice? What is prohibiting you from doing that? And we have to ask those difficult questions. And sometimes folks don't sit with that. They don't really turn the mirror onto them and be introspective and think about what is it about me that says, you know what? I don't even want to entertain this notion that there was a great injustice done to people that are still being impacted today. And yet on the other hand, I'm benefiting from it today. Right. Because you might have to wrestle with the notion that, guess what, bro? Guess what, sis? You're not that dope. you kind of mediocre at best, despite all the privileges and advantages you've been given. And that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow. It really is. But again, if you're about that work, these are our demands. Get down or lay down. No, I'm joking. But you know <laughs> what I mean. You know what I mean. That's what, it, that's what it needs to be. Yeah, I think there should be a lot of trading places type of transitions that should be happening in our community. Just putting the right people in the right place. And again, only going to a place or institution or organization to add value with our skill set. Having a, let's say, an honest way to do that without being micromanaged, you know, micromanaged due to anything else that, we, you know, you can't really do anything about like your race. Yes, I, I totally agree. And to, to Ashley's point um, about black psychologists that we need them. Um, we need to get back to not getting in our own way. And sometimes because of the stuff that we've been told or the things that we've bought into or the paternalism that's been passed down to us in terms of colonizing our mind, we think that certain things aren't for us, such as therapy, such as talking through your trauma and pain, such as actually having some place to lay down your burdens or at least unpack them. Um, we need to get back to that. So when we talk about healthcare reform, we also need to think about mental health. We also need to think about um, diet. We also need to think about exercise. We need to think about what we're putting in our body, what we're fueling our bodies with or not fueling our bodies with in order for us to actually continue in this fight. Absolutely. Because it's, it's been a journey. It's been a journey and it will continue to be a journey. You know, as 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 Nipsey after Nipsey helps you pass, you know the marathon continues, right? Um, we have to make sure that that marathon continues, realizing that it is in fact a marathon, and we need to be prepared for that. So there's a lot of things that we need to do to make sure we get our mind, body, and soul right, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. We have to make sure that we're working on our temples, and that's the other piece. So there's again going back to the individual piece. It's not just about those folks who are not in the culture who don't understand um, or don't want to understand, don't wish to understand, and still want the problem to exist because they benefit from it. It's also about the folks who are within the culture who need to do better for themselves with what they have, and then hopefully be able to get more things um, for them to have better choices, better options, and a better tomorrow. Um, so those are things we really need to think about, even as individuals within the culture, to make sure we're taking care of ourselves and doing our part. Absolutely. So all the things that contribute to us being in the situation, such as lack of knowledge, I feel like 
you know, social welfare agencies should give, be giving people systems to create wealth, you know, and be self-sustainable. I feel like that would help you better than, you know, anything else. Absolutely. And we need to get back to community building um, mm. and community building, you know, back in the day in one community, you had your neighbor who was a doctor, your neighbor who was a police officer, your neighbor who was the lawyer, your neighbor who was a therapist, psychologist, counselor, your neighbor who was the pastor. We had communities mm-hmm. and we, we had a wealth of talent. We had a wealth of intelligence. We just had a wealth of love where you can just lean on someone in your community. You knew who they were. You knew what they were about. You had a, a relationship where there's lots of trust. Um, we need to get back to that. Um, I was sharing this this past week and I was talking about the presentation I usually do with one of my colleagues. Um, and it's talk about the work that we do with our fourth grade boy affinity group. And uh, it's called Ubuntu. Again, talk about the, the word for humanity and meaning I am because we are, we are because I am. Really talk about that interconnectedness. Um, but thinking about, yes, the, the, the proverb says it takes a village to raise a child. However, mm-hmm. we realize sometimes, particularly when people destroy our villages, uh, we need to first create one. So we need to get back to building a village where we can live in the same community, where we can police ourselves, where we can have our own social contract, where we can build businesses, where we can have cooperative economics, when we can actually do some pro bono work when we can, where we can, because we're trying to have the same North Star towards liberation, towards freedom. Um, and we're, we're all supporting each other through our collective efforts, through synergy. Um, so that's what we really need to get back to. We need to get back to the basics. Where we had our small towns, our small villages, and we was all rocking and running that joint. Um, so that's something that I would offer that we need to also think about and be a little bit more intentional and strategic about. You have a lot of campaigns that we see where they talk about buying back the block. Let's buy back the block. Let's make sure that we move into spaces where we have people who look like us, appreciate our aesthetic, understand our culture, understand our way of life, our way of being, right? And we won't be policed for just being black on our streets and our own communities. So let's have a conversation about how do we intentionally create communities and build communities where we can be a beacon of hope and light for each other. It's true. Could you imagine a, a squadron of black police officers who aren't patrolling? They're just being called when we need them type of thing. Listen. You know, not, not just, you know, choosing to interact with stimuli that they see. Like, nah. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you right now, being in Philadelphia, um, you know, there are times when, you know, I because I'm from New York City. Um, and woo, them cops in New York City, they, some of them look different. They just really look different here in New York, here in Philadelphia. I see a lot more black, black and brown cops. Um, and you know, there was a time when um, not too long ago, I, a little fender bender, somebody hit hit me uh, the back of my car, and there happened to be like an unmarked uh, police car. And I got out, and two officers hopped out, both of whom were black. Wow. And I'm telling you right now, the level of stress and anxiety went from here to whew, right because I see someone who chances are, even if they were in that, you know, that blue shield or whatever, right? Even if they're part of that fraternal order, like they know who I am. They see me. They probably have a similar experience. I might look like their son. I might look like their cousin, their brother, right? So that proximity piece, the understanding, I was so appreciative of that. So when you, even when you think about that piece, racialized stress drops, racialized right. trauma might drop. That interaction that we had just from someone hitting me, right? That could have been totally different 
if some white cops just rolled up, saw a bunch of black people in the situation, it's like, give me a license. Mm. Give me a registration. Now, oh, okay, we saw the whole thing. All right, so yeah, I'm going to call a person over now, make sure blah, 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 blah. And we just, yeah, just pull over here real quick. It's totally different. Totally different. So I, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Doesn't mean that, guess what? They still don't need training because they all do. Anybody who anybody who's given a gun needs training. Sure. But all I'm saying is I felt much more better, much more comfortable, much more safe. And I know I'm not using the right words and I don't care. <laughs> I understand completely. And I feel like that'll have a trickle down effect to our communities. So things like this can occur. Could, could you imagine organizations <laughs> were working together with the level of talent, especially in terms of business-wise and commerce? I'm like, gentlemen, ladies, come on. I mean, this is, this, is, this is just completely popping to my mind, but how do Crips feel when people say Blue Lives Matter? Rhetorical question. Rhetorical question. Right. <laughs> Rhetorical question. I'll be able to answer. <laughs> Rhetorical question. All I know is that gangs back in the day, the way that they were, they were founded, usually was because they were trying to actually police their own neighborhood or at least give people protection within their neighborhood, make sure that they were self-sustainable, making sure that their block was protected, etc. cetera. Um, and a lot of times these folks who joined gangs is because they didn't really have that stable foundation at home. Maybe there wasn't a presence. Um, maybe didn't have folks who were really looking out for them, right? Um, and then now things get perverted, right? Because you might have some gangs that were really trying to do similar things that the Black Panthers were trying to do, right? Trying to make sure that they could put on for their communities. But then you have insert authorities, et cetera, right? Where they might flood the hood with cocaine because mm. we don't got the plug like that. We getting it from somewhere and folks dropping it off. It's like, hey, have at it. Or they deliver guns into the community. Right. And they start to be the same way you see things happening with some of these riots, right? Provocateurs who are setting things up and staging things, things that were peaceful protests become something else. Not because of the people who are protesting, but because of the people who are provocateurs who are trying to change the narrative and change the trajectory of this movement or stifle it. Right. So we've seen this. We've seen that playbook again. Again, going back to that playbook. So really think about what that looks like. So when I see that in unity, Imagine the strength because there's so much discipline. It's almost like what pissed me off when I was in college, which bothers me. Like I, I appreciate friendly, friendly, respect, like respectful and responsible rivalry. Love right. it. Right. Love it. So when you talk about fraternities and sororities, talk about the divine nine, the black Greek letter organization. I love when we had that camaraderie where we were like, you know, joke with each other, etc. But when it got stupid. To the point when people want to fight each other because you wear black and old gold and you wear blue and white and you wear crimson and cream and stuff like that. Like, no, it's stupid. Like, we have similar missions, visions, responsibility. Let's actually pull our resources and our efforts together to make sure that we're stronger as a unit. You can still wear your colors. I'll wear my colors. Can we still go in the same direction? realizing that we all have ways to like get to that point, but can we go in the same direction? So when we think about these gangs coming together, I, I think it's beautiful. And I think that's something that folks are really afraid of and scared of. Right. And I feel like that'll be, that'll actually nullify the crabs in the barrel. That, that'll be part of that, part of that movement. In addition to 
all the things that we said. I mean, that's I feel like that's the best way to do it is remove that type of PTSD causing environment because a lot of people are, as we said, traumatic, having tra traumatic experiences, people being murdered right in front of you. I mean, if soldiers have to go through this, what do you think civilians who didn't sign up to something that they know would get them killed just for living, just for having the skin tone in a certain area, that could mean that. And sometimes from your own people, let alone the police. Absolutely. And I, you know, I'm really, I'm really um, prayerful about our young people, um, the folks who are coming up seeing these things. Where, I mean, I never forget that. Every, and just being in education, you know, you have a lot of folks who come up to you and they, they really express their feelings. And maybe, maybe a couple years back at an institution I was employed, there was some racial situation that happened on campus. And one of my college counselors came in my office, just sat down on the couch and started crying. I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, why do they hate us? Why don't they like us? And I, you know, I had to have a conversation with her. I'm like, listen, it has nothing to do with you. And yet it has everything to do with you. Mm. It's all about them and how they feel about the brilliance, the beauty, the power, the talent that you have, that you possess inside. Could be jealousy, could be the fact that they wish they were you, that they wish that they had your aesthetic. That's why they go tanning. That's why they get them lip fillers. That's why they go see Dr. Miami, you know, all that, right? So it's like, okay, you want to be me, but you don't want to be me, right? You want my color, but only temporarily because you don't want the stuff that actually comes with it in this racist society. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. You remind me of the, the last point I had. I'm sorry. Which no was um, back, back, back pay with interest on all times that cultural appropriation generated income. So I'm looking at, and, and to his credit, he did say it, but the Beebs, I just, we, we need to, you know, share some of those royalties with the uh, black community. I'm telling you right now, if these entertainers who that applies to were a stock, it's going under overnight because these folks are about to go bankrupt. If they have to give for what they've earned based off of our style and our aesthetic, I'm talking about the Beebs, I'm talking about Justin Timberlake, I'm talking about Robin Thicke, I'm talking about Britney Spears, I'm talking about Christina Aguilera even, even, right? So there's a, and, and the list goes on, the list goes on. So when we think about that, yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. Absolutely right. I need folks to understand that they're celebrating not because of their talent, not because of their accomplishments, but because of the things that they have culturally appropriated and because it's packaged and whitewashed in a, in a, in a, uh, in a way that's palatable or marketable for the masses to a point where it's like, oh yeah, that's the black aesthetic, but it doesn't have a black face. Right. And I'm curious, will we see people feel differently about those who are, let's say, walking on the fence of this, of this uh, situation? So people like, I don't know, Aubrey marketing wise, and also <laughs> perhaps Mariah Carey. I, I, I don't know, you know? Well, I mean, my, 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 not my cynical, but maybe my crash answer is, does that person have talent? And Mariah Carey, 
I haven't really checked. I mean, she can't really, from what I've seen, seems like the voice is a little gone. She might ask for her tea, but then the real tea is that she can't really sing anymore, anymore. Don't want no right. hate mail anymore <laughs> for what I've seen. Um, dear Aubrey Graham, um, I'm not ever going to hate him because I've never really been a fan to begin with, To like, honestly. I saw him perform live when I was in college. I'm like, fam, like, I, I think I can do that. But he has some bangers. I must admit he has some bangers. Right. However, I think in this moment, those folks who are straddling, um, that's a different type of privilege because you, 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 you can win either way. You can win either way because folks checked it from you on both sides. The culture checking for you, the folks who are not in the culture checking for you, because either you're safer or they remind, they remind that person reminds them that, oh my God, that could be me. Or they get me, or I'm similar. Right. Um, so I think those folks who are straddling the fence, they, they better pick a side, they better pick correctly. And it just reminds me back to um, going back to the sports we were talking about earlier. Um, I'm a Knicks fan. Mm -hmm. I know, I know. It's a hard life. It is. However, apparently what I didn't know, because I'm in Philadelphia now, and you know, New York is a little further up north. And um, I heard about James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, who the Knicks were the last NBA team to actually make a statement about the George Floyd incident and everything that happened from it. And usually when you hear a statement, you think it's gonna at least be at least a tweet, right? At least a tweet, 140 characters. This joint was the, the most milk toast, lukewarm, vanilla garbage I've ever read in my life. And it's like, fam, it took you two weeks to do that. So wow. when you think about where people stand, I don't care what race, creed, color, whatever you are, you need to speak up when there is injustice. Like Martin Luther King said, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. This struggle is really our mutual struggle. Again, back to Ubuntu, interconnectedness. If you do not speak up now and then you're on the hot seat later and no one comes for you, that's on you, fam. That's on you. And there's a poem about that. You can look it up because I can't remember the name of it. But it's like they came for the Jews and no one said anything. So blah, 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 blah. They came for blah, blah, blah. No one said anything. They came for you and no one was left to speak out. Like it's, that's pretty much paraphrasing it. So wow. you cannot straddle the fence. You have to pick a side. And I hope you're on the side of justice because otherwise I'm like, I'm looking at you all types of sideways. It's true. And I guess this type of mindset can only come from the top. And how that's implemented, because we even see, you know, throughout history, all the way back to biblical times and, you know, Deuteronomy 28 and what happened to those people, which strongly resembles what's happening to uh, the African-Americans, which is very interesting. Yeah, man. And quoting scripture for real. I was thinking the other day, I was like, I wonder if this right now is our exodus moment. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we are standing at the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, God's going black, take us to the promised land. And I hope that's the case. I hope that's the case. We know what happens afterwards, but I hope that's the case. All right, I hope that's the case um, in the sense of 
this actually being a movement that's going to bring about actual change, that's going to bring about true, real allies who are accomplices who then become co-conspirators, as opposed to the pledges and the performative allyship that usually is like worth a soundbite, a tweet, an Instagram post, and then nothing more. I need folks to really show up. Like now is the time. This feels all types of different. It really does. And we need to make sure we push, push, push to make sure that it happens. Absolutely. So guys, thank you once again for an amazing show. That was a lot of fun. And thank you, thank you everyone in the comments. We will be back again next week at 6 p.m. And Mikhail, are you free Thursday evening by any chance? This Thursday evening? Yes. What time? Around 6 p.m. So game seven, character builders also invested in StreamYard. So shout out to StreamYard. So okay. they, they have invited us on to uh, return the favor. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm free. You said you said right. 6 p.m.? Yes, sir. Yeah, I got a call until about 5.30, and I can hop right on, no doubt. All right, cool. And okay, guys, thank you once again, and stay safe out there. Be proud, be happy, and definitely be black. You're... You repeat what they created and get power to hate. But worst of all, we disappoint all the greats. Black lives matter, black lives matter. Yeah, yeah.